Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting me over. We'll continue to read from Srila Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. We're on the 70th Anucheda. Um, Jiva Goswami here quotes from the first chapter of the first canto of the Bhagavatam. Sunaka said, O wise one, please therefore recount the auspicious stories of the avataric descent of Sri Hari, the supreme regulator Ishwara, who by his own intrinsic potency, Yogamaya, performs Leela out of his own free will. Jiva Goswami writes here, uh, Please speak primarily about Sri Krishna, Hari. Consequently, May you speak of others only incidentally. This is the intended sense. Ohari means O Sri Krishna, as understood from the context. Avataric descents refer to his Purusha avatars, Guna avatars, and Leela avatars. Their divine acts, Leelas, assume the form of cosmic evolution, sustenance, and dissolution, as well as the removal, removal of the Earth's burden. So we continue to hear from Jiva Goswami uh, in his fortification of the Parivas Sutra. Uh, this and the next Anucheda will complete his, um, he's already shown that all the major narrations within the Bhagavatam are related to Krishna. And and we can see why they are, because that's what was requested by uh, Sonika Rishi of Sutta Goswami. So, according to the, re the inquiry of the student, the, the master responds accordingly. So here, Jiva is taking one final little detour to show that these six questions, which Sonika Rishi put before Sutta Goswami uh, on behalf of all the sages of Namasharanya were specifically uh, presented in such a way that they drew from Sutta Goswami narration specifically uh, concerned with the uh, discussion of, of uh, Lord Sri Krishna. And therefore we find that uh, Sonika Rishi in his presentation and uh, Sutta Goswami. Sutta Goswami immediately as, as this first uh, canto comes, comes to a close, he, he introduces the major players of the Leela of Krishna. So he introduces, he, he sets the scene so that he can introduce Sukadev Goswami and his narration to Maharaj Pariksit. So the whole build-up for the rest to the th end of the first canto is directed towards this. The introduction of Sukadev Goswami as the main speaker because that was the nature of the questions. They didn't inquire from uh, Sutta Goswami, please tell us how to attain liberation. They, they're, they're, they specifically 
knew the importance of Hare Katha, Krishna Katha, and they they wanted that from you know from um, Sutta Goswami. So then Sutta Goswami, through the end of this whole first canto, sets the scene. Oh, Krishna advented, and, and there were these affairs, and it all ended. We have the Pandavas, and we had this whole big war that was enacted, and all of a sudden, we had the birth of Maharaj Parikshit. And therefore, we had the death of Maharaj Parikshit. And the significance of his death and the circumstances are presented, and then the narration comes. And what did he want at the end of his life? He's the perfect exemplar who throughout his life, just as you've questioned about Krishna, you want to hear about Krishna, you want to know, you want to have the benefit of hearing about Krishna. So Maharaj Parikshit also spent his whole life looking for Krishna. Everywhere he looked, every person he observed, is this is this my Lord that saved me in the womb of my mother? I only caught a glimpse then. It was a short time. Came, he, you know, he saved me, and then he's gone. Just coming, but I want to find him again. So, the Inquisitor Parikshit, throughout his life, looking, where do I find Krishna? Where do I find Krishna? And then finally, you know, no manifestation of Krishna, and then circumstances come, and he's cursed by the a Brahmana immature Brahmana that he was but he was still cursed and therefore okay let me let me just take this curse as a benediction and not counter it which I can easily do I have Brahmanas that could certainly counteract it but let me just take take it as the arrangement of providence and let me let me just accept the snake bite within seven days and up to that seven days let me let me try to find somebody that can introduce me to Krishna so this little detour here is we already have two of the four major divisions the fourfold army and now we're we're taking this detour to say also the questions the six major questions that were presented are also specifically directed towards uh, finding out about Krishna and if you want to tell us about his other manifestations that's okay as long as you tie them back <laughs> to Krishna so we know that we have the the uh, Purusha avatars, just three. We have the uh, Guna avatars, three Guna avatars. And then we have unlimited uh, Leela avatars. And these Leela avatars are just unlimited. You cannot come to the end of them. Some of them are referred to as Manvantaras. Uh, avatars in charge of different days of Manu, 
come in the day of Manu, some come in the day in the specific Yuga. So there's uh, four Yugas in one cycle. And there's 71 cycles of Yugas in one Manvantara. There's 14 Manvantaras in one day of Brahma. So there's a lot of descents, and then there's other descents in between all that. So they're just you can't we can't even keep track of them all. So, Sunaka, unsatiated by hearing Krishna Katha, he questions again. Jivan Goswami now quotes his next uh, statement uh, to Sutta. Out of intense eagerness, Sunaka expresses yet again his desire to hear the exploits of Sri Krishna, making known that his heart was not at all satiated in this respect. Then we have a quote, 19th uh, verse of the very first chapter. We, however, are not at all satiated in regard to the heroic deeds of Bhagavan, who is praised in beautiful verses. Hearing of which deed, hearing of which deeds, the connoisseurs of aesthetic relish, rasa, experience greater and greater delight at each and every word or moment. Then he goes on to quote another verse from the end of the tenth canto. O King, the sacred pilgrimage site, Tirtha of Krishna's fame, that has appeared among the Yadus, has diminished the glory of the Ganga, the celestial river that washes his feet. And Jiva Goswami now writes in this regard, We were satiated in regard to topics such as yoga and sacrifices, yaga, but not at all by hearing even a full measure of Bhagavan's heroic deeds. In particular, however, we are especially unsated by hearing the heroic deeds of Sri Krishna, who is praised in beautiful verses, Uttama Sloka, such as Srimad Bhagavatam 1090.47, cited in Anacheda 67. In other words, we never consider any amount of such discussion to be enough. The reason for this is that on hearing such deeds, connoisseurs of rasa experience greater and greater delight at each and every word. Alternatively, the sense can be rendered as follows. Others, however, may of course be sated, but not us. This is the syntactical significance of the word however, too. So here we can see that Sunaka's looking actually to the first verse of the uh, of the Vedanta Sutra. The first verse of the Vedanta Sutra is Atato Brahma Jignasa. Now let us acquire into Ramon. Atato, though, this verse, as we've already learned from Jiva earlier in the Sandarbhas, is referring to what? We're done with everything else. We're done with with all other 
Artha Dharma Kama Moksha. Now let's let's get to the heart of the matter. So this sense, the tato, means now that we've already done all the everything else. We've we've covered all of it and we're not satisfied. And that also is there in uh, Sonika Rishi's inquiry. We're never satiated by hearing the, this katha, Krishna katha, in relationship to Krishna, whereas hearing about yoga, hearing about liberation, hearing about these other things, we already heard these things and they didn't, they didn't satisfy us. We have no desire to hear them again. We're 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 just we just want why? Because there's a there's a relish. There's rasa in this harikatha. It's saturated with what? It's saturated with the roots the Lord Swarup Shakti. It has its own agenda. So every time that we hear it, it becomes more and more relishable. It has, it, it, there's no end to it. We can discuss this unlimitedly. We'll never end the, we'll never come to the end of the discussion and we'll be ever enlivened increasingly by the inquiry, by the discussion. So this is, this is the way that the, the question is presented and, uh, and in there we have, we've already, now we're ready. Now we're ready. We're, we've given off everything else. So then one would question, uh, I mean, Jeeva's put these two verses one after the other. The one from the first canto and then the other verse that he's quoted in his commentary, 1090-47 from, from the end of the 10th uh, canto, regarding the fact that even you could take the, the liquid form of Krishna, the Ganges, and take advantage of it repeatedly, still the benefit would not be as spiritually satisfying, it would not. It may be a, the, the Ganges may be able to eliminate our material suffering. It may be able to to eliminate all of the sinful reaction from thousands of lifetimes through repeated use. But well, just being in the proximity of a speaker of the Bhagavatam, just to be in their proximity is unimaginably more spiritually beneficial. What to speak to hear these these leelas, to hear these discussions, how how more uh, how much more beneficial that is. So connoisseurs of Rasa. And if we think about it, even even in the beginning of devotional practice, there's rasa, there's a taste. 
even from the very, very beginning. And it, it only increases the more we hear. So in the beginning, I mean, there, there is immediately some relish to hearing the narrations. Now our understanding may be immature. What we come away from a lecture with as, as our nourishment to get through the days of service uh, may be different as time goes on, but because we do filter it through our prior impressions, our prior until until that's all cleared away, until our discrimination through repeated association of the sadhus, the more we're in the association of Krishna's devotees, then the finer our discrimination becomes. And the more we hear from the pure unalloyed devotees, then the the more keen our intellect becomes, so that the this the immediate the immediate effect in the beginning may be just some taste, some minor taste, but it becomes more and more relishable. As uh, Sonic Arish is saying here, there's no, there's no, there's no time that it's not becoming more relishable. Uh, and if it is, we've got a problem. We need to see what's this problem. There must be some, some, uh, some misconception on my part, and we we can get wrapped up in misconceptions. They can take a you know, a couple days, a couple months, or a couple years, or a decade to work out. But we have to we have to be uh, determined to to come to a, to the proper conclusions, and of course the. The position of the uh, uh, sad guru, one who's truly situated, is is very uh, important. Their position in our life is extremely important, our spiritual life, because just being in their presence, they can dissipate all these misconceptions um, very easily. There is a uh, commentary by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur uh, in talking about uh, the super excellent association of sadhus and what the effect has. And uh, Guru Maharaj has told me to, to, to repeatedly <laughs> or remind everyone of this, this one commentary. He says everybody needs to hear that that we need to associate with those who who truly have the quality of unalloyed devotion. Vishwanath in this commentary says, yes, to hear from devotees under all circumstances is is beneficial. But unless you're hearing from the topmost Sadhu, unless you're hearing from that empowered personality, then the hearing is just bhajana kriya. It's just bhajan. 
but the pure devotee can draw you immediately through the stages of a, a Narthanevriti, Nista, Ruchi, Asakti, to the stage of Prem, Bhava and Prem. So he, he can immediately pull you. He's that powerful. His, his discourse is that influential, that nourishing. So we always have to seek out and hear from those people that really nourish our spiritual growth in a significant way, who are truly, you know, advanced. So it's been established here that uh, Sonika Rishi and all the sages, they were exclusively interested in hearing about Krishna. So we end this little subsection here with the following uh, conclusion by Sonika Rishi. Jiva writes here, this is now up to the 71st Anacheta. Uh, no. Sonika Rishi says, Indeed, Bhagavan Sri Keshava, concealed in a deceptive human form, performed superhuman acts accompanied by Balaram. Jiva Goswami quotes uh, Tridhar Swami in his Anucheda. He writes as follows Swami also comments, therefore, Sonika makes this statement with the intention of urging Sutta to speak of Sri Krishna's exploits. The adjective Atimarjani, superhuman, indicates those acts that are beyond human capacity, such as lifting Govardhan Hill, which is to say acts that are impossible for humans. Then Jiva writes, But how, having become human, could he perform superhuman deeds? I mean, what's going on here? In response, Sonika uses the term kapata manusa. In a deceptive human form, the word human, manusa, refers specifically to a distinct terrestrial, carbon-based, in brackets from the from the Jiva Institute camp, life form. Therefore, Kapana Manusa signifies that it is only by dissimulation, Kapata, that he appears to be human. In reality, however, he is the absolute truth in human-like form, and hence not a human being in the usual sense. Yet, in as much as he has a human-like form and enacts human-like deeds, he possesses humanness, manusatvam, of an uncommon nature, 
The idea is that one cannot deny his uncommon humanness because it is not in contradiction with the completeness of his divinity, Purna Aishvarya. Therefore, in regard to the incident of the theft of the Shamantaka gem, Sukha said, being engaged and unaware of his prowess, he, Jambavan, considered him to be an ordinary human being, fraught with uh, being fought with Bhagavan, his own master. In this statement, by indicating that Jambavan's knowledge of Krishna was inaccurate, Anchitagyana, Sukha denies his phenomenality, while yet establishing his humanness. The same principle of interpretation is to be applied in regard to statements such as, O learned one, please narrate the activities of Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, who appears like an ordinary human being by the influence of his maya potency, maya manusha. Because his humanness is deceptive in nature, kapata manusa, he is therefore hidden, guda. In his own self-nature, however, he remains Bhagavan even while assuming that very human-like form. Not only the form that Krishna takes is human-like, but he also takes on a human-like mentality. And he takes on that human-like mentality to such an extent that he allows his internal yogamaya, uh, Swarup Shakti, to even bewilder him into thinking that he's just like everyone else. To so much to such an extent that well, his associates don't they they do and they don't. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. If they're in a certain location like Raj, they definitely don't think of him as God although Gargamuni said he was like Narayan but that doesn't mean he is Narayan he just means he's he's a pretty powerful little kid he got you know look at him he's picking up hills and you know killing demons and whatever but if he's you know if he does if he's not if he doesn't behave himself I'm gonna have to tie him up keep him out of trouble so and then, of course, you have the Pandavas and, and all the Kurus, um, the, you know, Satvatas. They're all they're all seeing uh, Krishna, and they're becoming so overwhelmed by his humanness that they're sitting on his bed. Uh, they're visiting him, you know, because their henpecked wife is tired of not having anything to eat so much so that the veins are coming out of her arms and do you you know why don't you go see your friend you were you were guru coolies together you know maybe he can help us out and you know so Saddam Muni goes and, and he sits on the bedstead of Krishna and is worshipped as a brahmana Krishna washes his feet and finally takes some chipped rice and 
Meany says, that's enough. You've had way enough. You can't, you can't repay. There's no way that you can repay this Brahmana for what, uh, you know, for what you've eaten already. And if you eat it all, you won't leave any for the rest of us. So <laughs> don't give me. I'll distribute the rest of his, you know, his prashad. So, what an extraordinary, what an extraordinary feature of the Supreme Lord that he does take this human-like form, but he doesn't just take it, it's him. And it's him to such an extent that, well, as I said, Jiva points out we have a very, very unique uh, sampradaya. And in our sampradaya, the uniqueness of us is that we establish as our ultimate attainment a relationship with Krishna in humanness. The other sampradayas are not interested in this. They're interested primarily in, in the Vaikuntha atmosphere, and the, the four kinds of liberation, having a form like God, having you know his opulences, having uh, being in his uh, company, and uh, being on the same planet, Salokya. Mukti. So the, these are their aspirations for Lakshmi Narayan. Of course, we're here, and we're you know Jiva's saying, you know, from the very onset, wait, you missed a verse in the Bhagavatam here. Oh, you missed the whole Bhagavatam. You just accept the Bhagavatam as any other Purana. Wait a minute, didn't you hear why Vyasadeva wrote the Bhagavatam? He'd already presented it to humanity. Then he went back and rewrote it. Why? Well, there had to be some pretty significant uh, revelation that led to him wanting to rewrite the Bhagavat Purana. Wow. Why do you still, you know, you're still putting forth as your, as your primary praman, you know, the Prastana Trayi, the other Sampradayas, you know, the major Upanishads, the Gita and the, and the uh, Vedanta Sutra and you're content with that that's fine but maybe you should look and see why did Vyasadeva rewrite the Bhagavat Purana and why in the Bhagavat Purana do you refuse to accept the statement in the very beginning of it after the listing of just some of the Lord's unlimited avataric descents you refuse to see this one important sloka, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. What to speak of? You missed a very important verse in the 11th canto, but we won't even go there, you know, to the, to the advent of Sri Chaitanya. You just, you just kind of, you glossed right over that. And, you don't realize it until you're actually confronted with it. I was actually confronted with it. It was like, wow, 
Really? You're going to tell me that you don't accept Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam? You know, you were initiated by Prabhupada. Oh, that's right. You went to the Sri Sampradaya, which is fine if that's where your heart was. But you want to discount the commentary of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur that I quote when I'm discoursing online and say, well, you know, that's just an opinion. Yeah, it's our opinion. It's the opinion we accept as Gaudius. So it's profound that we want the humanness of Krishna. We like it when God forgets he's God. And we like it when God's energy puts us also in a state of forget, forgetfulness of his godhood. That's unique. That's pretty esoteric. That, you know, and our aspiration, what we desire, the intent of our whole uh, endeavor in devotional life is to enter into a relationship with the Lord where we can forget that he's God. That's the highest ideal of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. This is rather unique. It's extraordinary. And although it would be nice, we can't expect every other God-fearing, God-loving person to accept this. We can try to convince them. Sometimes it's not even possible for God himself to do that when he advances as the exemplar of being a perfect devotee and preaches. Sometimes the heart is set with the, on, on what the heart wants to such an extent that even God himself can't change your mind. So this humanness, that's what these sages, please introduce us to this humanness aspect of the Lord's, um, the Lord's Leela. Even when not expounding directly about Krishna, Sutta's only intention was to explain him. This is confirmed by Sri Sukadev. Now we have a quote from the beginning of the second canto, tenth chapter though. To clarify the meaning of the tenth subject, Krishna. So now we're talking about the ten subjects of the Bhagavat Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam. To clarify the meaning of the tenth subject, Krishna, we'll discuss some other stuff. But that's only to clarify Krishna. So you understand exactly everything about him. So we're going to discuss, depicted here, the highly elevated souls mentioned in this book, such as Vidura and Maitreya, describe the characteristics of the first nine subjects, sometimes directly, by offering prayers of glorification, using words that graphically depict their intended object, and sometimes indirectly, by pointing out the intended meaning, artha, implicit in various narrations. Next, 
Sri Jiva will analyze the intention of Sutta Goswami himself. So we now have the questions that Sonika has put before Sutta Goswami. And now we come to the final Anucheta in the second fold, the second aspect. Uh, let's go over those aspects. Fourfold army. So there were four areas. So the first one was all the supportive statements. And Jiva Goswami brought out innumerable supportive statements that Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So first, by supportive statements, he's shown, um, he's provided support for the Parivas Sutra. Then, we come to the second division, and all the narrations are about Krishna. And, you know, and then this little detour that we just took, that the inquiries were about Krishna, and Krishna alone, and we're now coming to the last Anucheta, dealing with the inquiries, and then we'll go on to the third and fourth um, divisions of this fourfold army in support of the Parivas Sutra. These will be a little thicker than the last two. Uh, the third and fourth divisions are uh, hermeneutic, sat praman, and then uh, sad linga. So uh, we won't get there tonight. We'll finish. We'll start on this anucheta, which is uh, basically. Now, now, uh, Sutta Goswami is ready to speak. He's now ready to respond to these questions placed by uh, Sonika Rishi. Now it will be shown that Sri Sutta's intention was also to speak exclusively about Krishna. I mean, this is what Jiva's here for. He's here to show this Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. So the questions are about Krishna. I've shown you that now. The responses are going to be by, about Krishna, and we know that because of this first verse that Sutta Goswami speaks in response to the questions after his offering of obeisance. So, the second chapter opens, this is the second chapter of the first canto, opens with a description of Sutta's delight on being questioned by the sages headed by Sunak. From this point up to the fourth verse, Sutta offers reverence unto the sage Sri Sukha, to Nara and Narayan, to the goddess Saraswati, and to Vyas. Then, beginning his discourse on the Bhagavad Purana, Sri Sutta said, So now he's finished up his obeisances with his, finest, his final one. 
what is it? Narayanam Namaskritya Narumchaiva Naroti Dabdamam Devim Sarasvatim Vyasam Tato Jayamudirayat. So finally, his advaisances, and now he's ready to speak and respond to the inquiries. O sages, remember, let's not forget one unique thing before we get into this one last little first verse is that even um, Sonika Rishi, in his exuberance, it was pointed out, in his exuberance, what did he do? He blessed the speaker. He blessed his guru. Please be blessed. That's how anxious they were to hear about Krishna. That he he kind of lost his composure due to enthusiasm and said, please accept our blessings and speak about Krishna. So, Sutta speaks. O sages, you have questioned me in a highly significant manner, beneficial for the entire world, because through inquiry about Krishna as conducted by you, I'm sorry, though inquiry about Krishna as conducted by you is itself that by which complete fulfillment of the self comes into being. <coughs> and we'll finish tonight with just one little comment from Sridhar Swami that Jiva Goswami uh, relates in regard to this opening verse. Swami comments, Sridhar Swami, the opening verse of the second chapter begins with the following report of Srila Vyas. Sri Sutta, honoring the words of the sages. Now, in this verse, how Sutta honors them is being sh- shown. And then uh, Sridhar Swami paraphrases in his own words as follows. O sages, you have questioned me in a highly significant manner. Sadhu Yatha. Because this inquiry is beneficial for the entire world. This is due to the fact that the thorough inquiry conducted by you pertains specifically to Sri Krishna. Sutta spoke in this manner because the question raised by the sages about extracting the essence of the meaning of all scriptures also culminates in Krishna. And basically, Jiva will go on to show us in the ending as we go in more into this Anucheta, which is not that long, but it's late, so I won't keep you up late. But he goes on to show that even the, even the way Sutta Goswami responds is pointing to Krishna, even to the first two questions, which were what? What's the greatest good for all humanity? And what should what what should they what should humanity um, uh, what will be most beneficial to them uh, the ultimate wel- welfare and uh, what will be beneficial to the entire world? So Jiva doesn't he doesn't stop he says all the questions are about Krishna all six of them even the two in the beginning about humanity. Well, there's no other ultimate welfare 
for humanity except Krishna Katha.